You're listening to SuperPod, the no-filter MSP show, presented by SuperOps.ai. Hi, this is Arvind Patrick and welcome to SuperPod, the no-filter MSP show. We're going to discuss tactics, strategies and stories on how MSPs are evolving during this desperate times. We have a very special guest today, someone I was personally excited when he agreed to be on this podcast. Ex-Solavans MSP veteran, face of the MSP radio and a professional podcaster. He's someone we internally refer to as the serial podcaster, Dave Sobel, who has done more than 300 episodes in this space. Welcome to Superpod. Well, thanks for having me. It's, uh, I was delighted to be asked. I always, I love this. Everybody listens to me knows that I just love talking about this stuff. And anytime we can do something that helps drive some value for technology service providers, I'm in. <laughs> awesome. And big congratulations on your first year anniversary on the business of tech. Thank you. It's, you know, it's, it's when you, when you sign up to do a five minute, every single day, news and analysis podcast, that's a lot of stuff. <laughs> like, like you realize a year in, you're like, wow, I'm cr- you know, cranking out content. So it's, but it's good fun. It lets me dive into three stories each day and why a solution provider should care about them. So why don't you tell more about you other than what I have researched and Googled about you? Like I, I want to know the fun stuff, like a little bit introduction about you. Well, I grew up in a little <laughs> just outside of Annapolis, but you know, it's the the serious, the professional version of that is. So I always start with the fact that I I have a computer science degree. So if you'd asked college Dave what he thought he'd be doing, I would have told you I thought I would be building software and being a programmer at this point in my life. If you'd asked me back then, I started my career as a consultant. I wrote code. I wrote some bad code, uh, and my specialty was actually the fact that I could do code and infrastructure. Because I was not a, always a great coder, but I could make up for the by in performing the in performance of the hardware I was developing my code on. I went through a couple of startups in the late 90s and into the aughts. And on the last one, when they laid off the development team and kept the sales team, I sort of had this moment going, well, wait a second, all the leadership doesn't get laid off. And those guys are idiots. I can drive a company into the wall just as easily as they can. And that was my first entrepreneur moment. And of course, that's the arrogance of of a young budding entrepreneur, to which then my second also stupid statement was, I'm going to do infrastructure. That's easier than coding. (laughs) It's like, and I'll do services, which is better than product. It's like, oh, wow. Okay. So many of the harder choices. But I ran what we now call a managed services provider. And I built that practice up in the DC metro area and I served healthcare and not-for-profits, grew it for about a decade. And during that time was super involved in the community, like going up because I wanted to learn, I wanted to understand more, but also had lots of moments of, well, wait a second, I know more than that guy. I wanna get involved. Like I wanna speak, I wanna be the guy out there talking. I've got ideas. And so that drove me into creating peer groups. So I was not only involved in peer groups, but I established peer groups across Europe. I was the first guy that took HTG into Europe. I was uh, involved with CompTIA and I founded the mobility community after being involved in the managed services one. I wrote a book, I was a Microsoft MVP, all these things, right? And then I had the chance to sell my MSP 
And, and I took it, right? Because that's what, the, that's what an entrepreneur wants to do is, right? You want to you, yeah. you strike at the moment when it's, when it's good. And it was a great sale for me. And I'm very proud of what we did. I'm most proud of the fact that they kept 85% of the revenue and all of the staff who wanted to stay were still there three years later. Nice. Like that's a huge deal. But I made money off the deal, but I didn't make end of my career money. I made money that's in retirement that when I'm done, we'll be very happy, but I needed a job the next day. (laughs) And rather than go be a consultant, I went out and I said, you know what I'm going to do is I'm going to learn to be a vendor. I'm going to get on the other side of this. I'm going to run the channel programs. I'm going to do that for solution providers, take my knowledge there, make these vendors better and learn what it is to be a vendor. I was at a company called Level Platforms that a lot of people have heard of. We sold that to AVG. Then I jumped over to, after that sale, you know, then we jump over to GFI and said, I'm going to do this bigger and better. Well, we did. We grew that community, became Logic Now. We sold that company to SolarWinds. And I stayed at SolarWinds for three years because I wanted to keep learning. And I'd never been through the IPO process. So we, of course, we took so SolarWinds went public for its second time, but for me, it was the first time learning that. And I stayed a year after to have gotten the life cycle, right? To have gone from startup to being acquired, to going IPO, to what it's like on the other side. And when I felt like that had run its course, I looked around the market and I said, you know where I can add my most value is by being an editorial voice that speaks for solution providers. Because it's it's a that's a this is a changing market. When I got started in this market, it was lots of little budding entrepreneurs figuring all this out in this managed services space. Well, now it's it's grown up. We've got some real issues, and so that's that's how I, how long I've been doing this. So I'm coming up on what twenty years of doing this, but that's that's my sort of story to get here. That's a wonderful story. <laughs> As you said, like you have you've seen all sides of the journey, like all all sides. You have a unique vantage point, right? In this MSP world, you you've been in the vendor side, you've been an entrepreneur, you you run an MSP a business by uh, yourself, right? pretty much all point of views, right? So I am going to take a few pages out of your book today, like from different <laughs> perspectives, and that's going cool. to be the questions, right? So let me start with an easy one, right? Pandemic, right? You would have seen all ups and lows and how people are changing their business, how they're operating, the struggles, etc. Right? If I were to ask you what caught your attention, like how the MSPs are operating during this pandemic, like what would be your well, top top yeah. answer? Yeah, it's a great question, and, I, and I'm, I'm going to cheat, and I'm going to give you two, because I think there's the one I have to give and the one I want to give. Okay. The one I have to give was the first thing was about survival. When, when this started, when, uh, you know, I looked at this, and, and I, I am an optimistic kind of guy, but I'm also a realist, and I play based on data. I don't play based on, like, how things feel. I play based on how things are. The data tells me when I listen to scientists, when I listen to experts, when I listen to to economists, they told me this was a long, this is going to be a long process. This wasn't a couple of weeks. This was 12, 24 months. And I looked and I said, uh, most solution providers can probably only have three months worth of cash. My job is to talk about survival first. It's about not saying this is just going to be a couple of weeks. Oh, it's a small blip. No, we're coming into the downtime, everybody. That's and even if, that's 12 to 24 months. And by the way, historically, that's also any downtime recession, 12 to 24 months. 
And this one's going to be worse. <laughs> so my first one was survival. The second one is also now like, okay, now we're, we've solved the first one. Let's talk about what's what I've seen during this time. I want to click on a word you said. You said change. This isn't actually change. Everything that I'm seeing during the pandemic is just accelerant. It's all trends that were happening before are just now happening faster, yeah. so much faster. We were already moving to work from home, but we yeah. did 10 years of transformation in three weeks. E-commerce was already growing. We had eight years of transformation in two months. Like all of these trends are just things that happened before we're happening. We just poured gasoline on them and yep. said faster. So for me, it's not change. It's things transformed of existing trends. So I'm looking at this saying, okay, now I, knew, I know the trends. I'm not looking for something new. I'm looking for the impact of stuff I was already thinking about. I just have to take my, that's going to take 10 years projection and go, well, maybe that's going to only take a year or two. <laughs> maybe we're, maybe we're going to get there a lot faster. So for me, the biggest change is all of my timeframes, I'm having to rethink. No, I think it's in a way it's the push we all needed, right? Just to come out of the comfort zone and like embrace technology, embrace the changes and like come out of the zone in which we are supposed to do and we are accelerated. Very well, well, I, I got to cheat and go, I'm not sure I want it to be pushed towards, <laughs> towards, I mean, some of the, and look, we have to recognize the, the, the reality we're living in, a, a world where, I mean, we have people dying. We have real economic hardship. I want to, understand that and not gloss this over by saying this is like, it's not a push. I didn't want this push. Yes, but, yeah. now, but now that we're in it, how can we help? Yep, yep. How can we move? And by the way, help also can be opportunity. There are ways, I mean, I love it when an opportunity to do something right and make some money are in the same place. I, we're, we're doing great work that helps companies be successful, which allow them to keep their employees, which keeps food on the table. Like this is a driver and I am all for that. But I want to I be realistic about the, the situation and not blinded by optimism. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. In your podcast, you spoke about a few trends businesses are embracing, right? A couple of topics uh, which were really interesting, uh, which caught my attention was uh, everything cloud and subscriptions and connected workplaces. So just wanted to know from your perspective on what MSPs can do to adopt these trends. Because you know, in the world there, MSPs are considered always late to come to the party. What's your perspective on that? Yeah, and, and this this is one of those those bits where I mean I get where everyone's coming from. Like that you like you you looking at the things that you've sold traditionally that have been successful. And I mean, even guys like myself, like I mean, I I've I've always quipped the like, you know, like IBM still does a mainframe business. It's okay. Like the, those that, that say, you know, the server is dead. No, it's not. It's but I also want to say and want to observe the look if you're starting a business today would you buy a server what are you nuts <laughs> like why, why would you so I mean I, I just launched you know I've launched a business in the last 12 months 
everything is cloud. Everything yeah. about my new business is entirely cloud. It's all just services I consume. Everything's a subscription. And by the way, it's glorious. Like it's amazing. amazing. The tool, yeah. the tools that I have now at my fingertips as a solo entrepreneur running this business are so much powerful than the more powerful than the ones I had as my MSP. By the way, if you're starting new businesses, if they're getting created, they look like that. And those are the competitors both your customers have to deal with. Oh, and by the way, you have to deal with. That 20-something, 30-something that's getting into technology, they're not carrying the legacy weight that you're carrying. They're able to run fast and agile and don't think they're not out there. And then also your customers are fighting that battle. Things don't stay the same. And so, so for me, it's the like, Look, yeah, I get a bunch of stuff has, has been continuously working, but in two to three years, the way you're making money from your services is not going to be the same that it was this year. And you've got to be continually looking at that reinvention, particularly because the market keeps rising. So, so for me, that you know, that that's the bit when I say looking at the cloud, I'm saying like I want you to actually think about transforming the way that you think about it. Two big areas that I'm focused on is, is look, I'm no security expert, but I look at what's going on with zero trust architecture around security, and that is a whole different ballgame. That's not a bunch of products that get strung together. That's process and procedure implemented you know, by services providers that way more important than the products they sell. The other area that I look at is, is, is you know, and I hate business transformation. Everybody listens to that I rail on it. But this idea that, I mean, if the technology you buy right now looks totally different than the ones you would have bought two or three years ago. And those, that's what I think about with cloud investments. I'm an IT guy. I, I pretty much spent most of my time in uh, building ITSM and ITOM products uh, back in my days. The challenges which I heard from most of the IT folks who I spoke to are like distributed workflows, people working from home, they need help, right? They can't do it because it was all under one roof and it was easier to manage. They have different challenges, different kind of problems. So you spoke something about hybrid IT and how IT and MSPs are going to work together and deliver the services. This is something very interesting. Do you think these two worlds are going to come much closer and what and the way we're going to work is going to change? Yeah, I mean, I, I definitely think the way people work is always changing and it's gotten faster. So for me, the, this idea of the, the reason that I think that I talk about zero trust security is that it's the architecture that allows distributed workforce, which is remote working. So I think about this, the fact that, you know, we used to have these safe spaces that everybody could be in together and you could, you could work on and you had network infrastructures that looked a lot like that. Yeah, that's all gone now, you know, and you have these distributed architectures. By the way, this trend was already happening. We just, as I said, put gasoline on it. Yes. And now, now, now here we are where, well, I guess everybody's house is also their office, is also their gym, is also, <laughs> like, it's also their bar. Like it's, your, your house is now everything. You have this true distributed environment. And so you've got to rethink a lot of the way that you, you do this. And, and, and some of this is we're going to emerge out on the other side, not like we, the way we were before, not like we are now in something new. 
We will, we will get somewhere else. And by the way, that's always true, right? It's always changing. It's not always stay the same. So I'm not, I don't fall into this trap of like the new normal or the current, like we just accelerated all of these processes. One of the, in one of your episodes, you also covered some interesting topic about assemblers, the importance of assemblers, right? MSPs shouldn't be dismissive to newer technologies. And you gave an analogy of iPhone and how MSP should be future ready and play a long game. Like, do you think AI is the long game? So let me explain everybody my idea of assemblers versus builders. So for me, like there's there's a role when I think about the IT delivery, the IT channel, technology services providers, all of that bit, there are kind of two pieces to that. There are builders, right? Those and the builders are the people that are creating pieces of technology that get used, right? So software vendors are builders, the hardware manufacturers are builders. They are creating an object, a thing. Assemblers are the people that take all of those bits off of the shelf and then they put them together in new ways that create other things, right? But they are not necessarily creating the new physical thing. Now, it's a bit of an arbitrary distinction because a builder is an assembler and a seller is a builder, but I need a way of thinking about the different skills because often, particularly if you're taking nothing and making something, I think of that as a builder. For example, if you sit down as a software developer, you start with nothing, and at the end, you have created something. An assembler is somebody that looks at the shelf of parts and goes, oh, I can take all of those pieces and I can reassemble them into something and make something better. The two work together, but you, and you need both, and they both have to do that. The builders have to keep creating new things for the assemblers to create other new things. Okay. And that's what the way I want the thinking to go. So vendors, it's on the vendors to create all of these new things. That's why we have new phones. We have new tablets. We've got new pieces of software. Assemblers, also the area where I think of as the services people, take all of those and they take make something out of it. You can also think about it in the way that a, a home builder might make, make something, right? So the, the builders, in, in my version of this definition, are the people creating hammers and nails and drywall and, <laughs> and paint. And assemblers take all of those components and then they create a home, a house, something that solves a particular problem. I want services providers to be constantly handed new things that they can assemble in new and creative ways. That's how we drive into these new areas and solve new problems. Nice. If, their pipe, if their pipeline of things they can assemble isn't there, it starts slowing innovation, right? We can't create the whole process. So now you asked about AI. This is an interesting area because I look at that assembler builder dynamic and I say, I don't think assemblers can work with AI, right? Because it's not a thing I take off a shelf and I do something with. Now, AI is totally something that those builders do something with. If you're in software, you're looking at AI and going, oh, I get that, all right? Like, I get that. I, that's a piece I'm going to put into my, my software and I'm going to do something with it. But the assemblers are waiting for the builders to have completed that process. By the way, everybody knows with every good analogy, it breaks down if you poke at it too much. But it's the distinction of thinking about where this fits. For me, AI is incredibly exciting. 
and the assemblers are waiting on the builders to do something with it. <laughs> and so, because if you're a technology services provider, AI is totally going to be a thing, but we need more products that actually leverage it <laughs> in order to get somewhere. Everybody are talking about it, right? AI, and there is also a fear on whether it is right for me as a small business, uh, is it only for enterprise? So there is a lot of buzz around AI, but in my opinion, I think if it's been implemented, right, as you said, the builders, if they implement and bring value with AI, that is going to change a lot of lives. Absol oh, absolutely. It's, it's incredibly powerful. And it allows for real interesting kind of analysis. The stuff they're doing in, in healthcare, the, where, where it has in some ways been, been really well implemented, that empower doctors to, have, to make decisions with better information, it's so incredibly powerful. And it's so relevant. And by the way, huge opportunity, right? Like, yeah. like doing stuff with this is a huge opportunity. But I'm so fascinated with what's going on with that. I look at our space and I continually say, like, the whole cycle has to keep moving. The builders have to be creating their piece. The assemblers have to be doing their part for the true value to get unlocked. Perfect. So before we go into the rapid fire round, I think uh, my team wants me to tell this and I'm going to read this out. Uh, this time, if you've been listening to this podcast, why don't you review us on Apple Podcast? We are dropping a $15 gift voucher for every review coming our way. So I had to say that. Uh, now we have a surprise rapid fire round. I'm going to ask you a question which like, you should not think and you're going to answer. Okay. That, that's okay. Much the idea, right? What's your biggest MSP pet pain? Overthinking tools. It's like five to 7% of your revenue and your labor is like 50 to 60% of your costs. Like people spend way too much time worrying about their tools. So, okay, what's that one resource, like a book or a blog or a podcast an MSP owner needs to read? You should not say your podcast, but anything else. Well, I thought that was what I'd say. Uh, for me, it, it's around, it, it'd be anything to do with business execution. It'd be about structure. I mean, if anybody hasn't read the E-Myth or any of like the, you know, good to great or any of these kind of traditional like business thinking things, spend time on the people in your business. It's the, the resource I pull from. And this is a tough one. And uh, for uh, listeners out there, for all the gadgets he has in this, uh, <laughs> in this background, which is your favorite gadget? You can pick one. It's got to be my phone. It really has to be my iPhone because it does so much of everything. It's such a central part of my life. I, I thought you were going to say Nintendo. <laughs> That's the most fun. <laughs> it's a different question. But <laughs> <laughs> All right. So if you were to give an advice, someone who's starting an MSP business during this time, what would that be? is figure out your business uh, is your business core business value. I did a video called if I was starting an MSP today, what would I do? My start of the premise is the idea of if I would figure out what business I'm in and solving for the end customer, right? Like am I in am I for me it would be probably not for profits because that's what I deal like but association manager like I'd figure out that nugget and I build from there and it's way higher up on the stack than thinking about like I'm going to run computers or networks or something like that. It's that's my one bit is start with that where am I delivering business value and work backwards. What would be your biggest productivity hack as an individual from morning to evening how do you plan things and what would be your what productivity hack? If I'm spending more than about an hour on something and I'm not getting forward progress, I'm the wrong person to do it. That's the way that I look at it. So for example, like I love like sites like Fiverr 
you know, where I, I realized you know, the other day I was working on PowerPoints and it was like, okay, this, this is taking too long. I give that to somebody on Fiverr to get that work done. I was str- like trying to build a new section of the, of the website and, and I was, it was flowing and then it wasn't. And it's like, okay, get the web guy involved. I look at, I have this trigger for, I am spending too much of my own time where it's not maximized. That's my, my hack on it is figure out where your trigger is. And then you give that work to somebody else. And it doesn't have to be an employee. Like it's just, I get that to someone else who can do it faster. That's, that's nice. That's really <laughs> So one last question is, if you were to recommend someone else to this podcast as a speaker, who do you think should you should pass the baton on to? I'm going to plug, uh, my co-host on Killing It, I'm going to actually plug, you should get Ryan Morris on. Uh, Ryan is a thinker on sales and sales strategy who I lead on when I'm thinking about that kind of positioning. And I think he's a, he's a guy who spends a lot of time on data. So I, and I'll, I will happily do the introduction. Awesome. Awesome. So thank you so much, Dave. It's been really pleasure talking to you. For all the viewers here, so much information. You can go more, read or listen more on Business of Tech. More such podcast is on the way with Dave. This is first of many. And thank you so much for your time. Well, thanks for having me.